butterflies can't see their own wings. Oh, can they not? They have no idea how amazing they are. And I think that's a lot of the case for business owners too. The people around them can see it, but they can't see it themselves. What? So imagine that, right? Imagine being the most, one of the most stunning creatures on the planet and you don't even know how amazing you are and how beautiful you are and how incredible you are. And that for me, like that whole analogy around the butterflies is that, plus it's my grandparents' spirit animal too, so. Welcome to Small Business Financial Freedom, and my guest today is Sam Rathley. Sam is the Chief Revenue Officer of Pipeline 44. I'm going to ask you about where Pipeline 44 came from, so have a think about that. <laughs> I'm sure you know. I do. <laughs> she is the UK's leading expert in sales, navigation, LinkedIn, and social selling, with over 230 million in new business generated by her clients. Wow, that's incredible. An international speaker, very jealous. I'd like to get yeah. the speaking <laughs> circuit. Named by you, Yahoo Finance as a top 10 global LinkedIn expert to follow. Authors of best-selling books, LinkedIn Inbound, which I've got, LinkedIn Outbound, which I don't have, I should actually get. And she helps corporate sales team and business owners to build sales pipeline and generate quality opportunities from the LinkedIn platform. So if I tell you a little bit about how I actually, how Sam came on my radar long time ago, I can't even remember how long ago it was. I know it was before COVID. You came to Aberdeen to do a lunch and learn I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. Yes, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a while. I couldn't even remember how long ago it was. I reckon I, it. I reckon that was about 2017, 18, 2018, I think. Yeah, it was. probably. Yeah. And I didn't know who you were. I hadn't heard of you. And you blew my mind. <laughs> the amount of information that you gave us on that lunch and learn was incredible. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. And I came away and I immediately implemented everything that you told me that I had to do. Did it all. But unfortunately, as as all things, I kept it up for a while, but as as all things, I sort of let it slip. I always kept track of you sort of thing. I, I looked at, you know, what you were doing on LinkedIn and things. And then you've started recently doing these Wednesday morning, 9.30 till 10, LinkedIn. What's it called? LinkedIn? They're like little bite-sized free training sessions yes. I do on a Wednesday morning. So, yeah, it's my little way of giving and helping people. So, And they're amazing. So if you haven't signed up for them, sign up for them. Go on to YouTube and catch up on them because they're really, really good. And I'm every Wednesday I'm there taking notes, thinking <laughs> – I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're finding them helpful. <laughs> I am finding them really helpful. Good. So that's my little spiel about you. But I want you wow, to. Wow, I didn't realize that's where we had connected. That's amazing. It's like I, you know, that event, I remember that event really well, actually. And I always say to people, like, when they're looking to build their business, like, you've got to get out there and, like, get in front of people and get in front of audiences because you never know who's in the room and then you never know who they know. So that's why, you know, doing podcasts and getting out to speak at events and networking is just so powerful because you never know where it's going to lead. And here yeah. we are. Yeah, very <laughs> true, very true. So I'd like you to actually sort of maybe tell us a bit about when you started your business 
Mm-hmm. And what was your motivation for starting your business? So I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur and be a business owner from a very young age. Like I remember being in college when I was 16, starting a business with my mate Dan. And we decided we'd like undercut the stationery shop that was in the college and set up a little on the side stationery business. So <laughs> I've always had like an entrepreneurial flair. And my dad always said, one day you're going to be like, you are going to be owning your own business. You're going to be an entrepreneur. So I set the goal, I think when I was 16, that I would have my own like proper business by the age of 30. And I had been living and working abroad. I'd worked for, I'd worked in marketing agencies. I'd worked for a big drinks company, Diageo, that owns, you know, Smirnoff. And um, at the time was I was working with Guinness and Jack Daniels and Smirnoff Ice and all these amazing brands. And then I ended up having an opportunity to move to the, to the Netherlands and I couldn't speak a word of Dutch. Okay. So I couldn't do sales and I couldn't do marketing. And they were the two things I was really good at. (laughs) So I fell into the recruitment industry. Just somebody found my CV and they wanted somebody to do recruitment, but in food and drink. So my industry background fit, but, and I also could use my sales marketing skills, but also I was dealing with international companies. So I could do that job. So it was never my dream job, but it was something I happened to be really good at and I really enjoyed it. And I was then given an opportunity to move to Ireland and I was 28 at the time. And I thought, right, I'm two years away from my goal of having my 30, own like, yes. business of 30. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go to Ireland and go to a country where I know nobody, I've got no network, have zero credibility whatsoever and go set up my, my business. And I, I floated the idea at my dad, who'd always been kind of a sounding board for me. And he said, well, why don't we do it together? And he said, well, I've got the finance background. He's an ex-bank manager and FD. And I said, really, would you like move to Ireland and set up a business with me? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of how my first business started. So early kind of 2000, I think 2005, we moved to Ireland. So set up a recruitment company. I obviously had been using LinkedIn in the recruitment industry. So that's how I kind of got into the whole LinkedIn thing, very early adopter, LinkedIn's been around since 2000 and 2003, 2004, 2003, sorry. So I was a very early adopter of the platform, but I was in the recruitment industry. So it wasn't till later on when I'd grown my recruitment business with my dad that someone said to me, like, would you mind like speaking at one of our conferences about how you've grown your recruitment business? And I said, oh, how many people are going to be there? And he said, oh, it's about 250 people. And I had never spoken, like I'd never been on a stage I'd never been in front of 10 people, let alone 250. And I was like, what? He said, no, you'd be brilliant. They'll love you. Like, you know, talk about how you've grown your business, you know, how you use LinkedIn, how you use networking. And I said, okay. So I was the only non-paid speaker at this event. Right. Um, I get on the stage, I look out at this massive sea of people and I'm like, oh "Oh, my goodness. I watched it back the other day and I'm like, I'm I'm barely breathing like through the whole (laughs) 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 I look at it now and think, gosh, like what were you doing? But I got a standing ovation and lit the room up and I was like, I I think I'm doing the wrong thing. Like, I don't think I was born to do recruitment. I was born to do this and I loved it. And from that point, I was like, right, I'm going to be, that's what I'm going to do. And I was still in recruitment. It was very much a part-time side hobby for me. So I didn't I didn't start full time what I'm doing now until yes. 2016, but that's that was the moment that I knew I was destined to do what I do now. So that was a very long story, but hopefully no, that was no, that's okay. So 2016, <laughs> your dad didn't come with you though, did he? No, dad, dad actually retired. He got out of recruitment. 
He retired, now lives in the Algarve in Portugal. So I get to go there a lot, which is amazing. But we still talk business because he's still really interested in what I'm up to. And he takes a keen interest in all things business anyway. But he's now sunning it up in the Algarve. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. Good. <laughs> so how did you actually find starting in business? I mean, I know when I started, I thought I was really naive. I thought this is going to be a doddle. I'm yeah. going to be able to. My motivation was I, I wanted to work the hours that I wanted to work. I didn't want to work full time. I wanted to have Fridays off, but I wanted to be earning enough money to pay all the bills. And I just thought, yeah, easy. Easy. Everybody should do it. I was talking yes. actually to, um, in the car yesterday, I had my daughter, Lily, who's 10, and she's been around entrepreneurship her whole life, obviously with me as her mum. And one of her friends was in the car and she asked me, um, is Oscar, my other one of my other kids, is Oscar going to university? Because he's just finished his GCSEs. Yeah. And I and I said to her, Well, that's not the only path. You know, it was like she it was like that was the only route. And I said, Well, that's not the only path that someone can take after they finish their exams. Like there's lots of things they can do. She said, Well, like what? Don't you just do your exams, go to college and then go to university and then get a degree and then get a job? And I said, Well, that's one path, but you yes. know, there are other paths. And she was really confused. <laughs> like so I started to talk to her about the fact that he was actually, you know, quite interested in business and quite entrepreneurial. And I think it's interesting how the system or the school system is so geared. geared at, yes. Education, know, education. Education. Get a, you know, educate, 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 go to university, get a job and then away you go. And she had never even like, and then she was saying to me, well, maybe I should start a business. And I'm like, oh gosh, her mum's going <laughs> to go, what have you been talking to Elizabeth about? But yeah, I just thought it was very, like, you know, he's very entrepreneurial. He's ready to start making money. And, and I think, but I said to him, like, it's not as easy as you think it's going to be. Like, it's very easy to look at people on social media who are talking about making, you know, 50K, 100K, like, especially in his generation, like, there's a lot of young people out there talking yeah. about how easy it is to make six figures, seven figures. It's very easy to think that, you know, you could just go out there, do that, not get a job, start a business, and it'll just be a doddle. But I've always been a very driven, like self-motivated person. So I knew it was going to be hard work. What I didn't bank on is six months after I started my business, getting pregnant and having a, having a oh. child. So I was, I think, five or six months in and I had Oscar, like my first child. And I was like, whoa, I've just started a business. And now I'm, I'm literally remember sitting at my desk and him being in his little bouncer, like three yes. days old. I had three days off. And with my second child, I had 11 days off and I was in a training room with her on my shoulder, like at a flip chart. And I'm like, that's that's just what you have to do when you run your own business. Like you, there is yes. no backup plan. Like you are the backup plan. So I I think I found it, I didn't find it easy. I found it easy uh, having my dad and his experience, I think, in the recruitment business because he's he'd been in business before. You know, he knew a lot of stuff I didn't know. I think a lot of business owners you know, you, you start a business because you've got this skill or you're very good at something, but you're not necessarily good at all the other things that go yes. with having yes. a business like finance, HR and legal and all this other stuff that nobody thinks about or tells you about when you start a business. No. So you have to wear all these hats. You have to be good at sales and maybe you've never done sales before and you just started a business in this because you're good at this thing, but then you've actually got to sell your services. So I think a lot of people don't realize how much you have to learn and how much you have to do (laughs) 
when you first start a business. So I don't think I necessarily found it easy, but it helped having experience around me. So even if it wasn't my dad, I would have got a coach, a mentor, someone that had been there, done it. And I still have that today. I mean, I've always surrounded myself with great coaches, great mentors, great peer group support, because I think in business, it can be quite lonely as well, especially if you're moving from having a corporate job, like a solid corporate job where your salary comes in every month to, okay, like I'm the only one responsible (laughs) what lands in my bank account. So I think that that's key for anybody going into business, like get people around you. That's interesting. That's interesting because I didn't. (laughs) But I agree with you. I think it's very important because now I do have people around me that I can talk to and that I can bounce things off and and they can say to me, Susan, you're speaking a load of rubbish or you're getting too caught up in this or, you know, whatever. I think it's very important. But at the time, I didn't. Mm. And I wish someone had said to me, go and get a coach or get a mentor or get somebody to help you. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And I still have it today. I mean, I've, my mentors and coaches have changed over time. I've leveled them up as I've leveled up. Yes. Um, you know, I remember, you know, I'm very grateful to everyone that's kind of been there along the way. But, you know, they don't, they're not all necessarily people you have to pay. Like, obviously, if you want to pay for a coach, you can. But there are other people, like a lot of experienced business people will be very willing to help if you approach and say, look, I'm looking for a mentor. I don't need a lot of your time. This is all I need from you. But would you be willing to mentor me? And I don't think enough people ask for help. There's a good friend of mine, Andy Laparte, who's written a a book about, you know, the just ask because not enough people ask for help. And I think that's one of the top skills you need to develop as a business owner is yes, you, know, you take all this weight on your shoulders and then you don't, you don't, you think it's a weakness to go ask people for help, but just ask. No, my granddad always used to say to me, you've got a tongue in your mouth, you've got to ask. And this, this you'll find this interesting. But when I started in business, the accountancy profession was very closed and I did ask for help. I approached a few sort of people that I knew because I knew people in the accountancy business and they didn't want to help me because they were frightened in case I would take their business. Interesting. It's not the case now. I think COVID changed all that because I think we started to share a lot more. And now I have a lot of accountancy mentors, coaches that I can go to and say, I've never come across this before do you know, and they're more than willing to help me. And they know that I'm not a threat and I'm not going to. But when I started, I couldn't get anyone in the accountancy profession to help me. Interesting. I find that interesting, but I also don't think it necessarily needs to be someone that is in your space, if that makes sense. No, that's true. Because, you know, quite a few of my mentors, they wouldn't have the first. In fact, my best mentor was a social media dinosaur. He isn't now, like he's my business partner now. And he's very, very good at social media. But back in the day when we first started working together, he didn't have the first clue about anything that I teach. And he didn't need to because he was helping me to look at the business from a profitability perspective, from a scalability perspective, and from a sustainability perspective. And he had a lot of experience in building, growing, scaling, and exiting from companies. And that's what I needed the help with because I was like, it's just me. I'm the brand at the time anyway. I didn't have a team. I had all the knowledge in my head. And I was like, well, how do you go from being the one person to actually 
building and scaling a business if you are the business. And that's what I really needed the help with. He didn't need to know the first thing about LinkedIn or Sales Navigator or social media or anything that I teach because that's not the skills that I was looking for to get help from. So I think if someone is in that situation that you found yourself in, don't necessarily look just in your industry space. Look for people that would be willing to help that have have been where you want to get to. Yes, that's true. That's true. I think with me, a lot of it was confidence. Yeah. I think a lot of it was believing in what I was capable of doing because I'd always worked for someone else. And I I didn't have you. I mean, you're great because you've instilled that into your children. So your children now go, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. But I didn't have anyone in my family that did that. Yeah. In fact, when I started, my oldest son sat me down and said to me, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) I think it's the case for a lot of people. I hear that all the time. Like people, like their family members, the people closest to them are not supporting them. And it's like, they're going, well, that was a really bad decision. You should just go back to getting a job. And like six months in, you know, it takes time to build a business, doesn't it? It doesn't take, you know, and, you know, I didn't have always have the best support around me. I had a lot of good support, but I also had a lot of people going, you're crazy. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why don't you just go get a job? And And I think as well, that confidence thing comes back to kind of imposter syndrome and people thinking, well, am I, you know, am I good enough? Or you get a couple of knockbacks from people when you do go ask for home, you think, oh, maybe I'm not worth helping. So it's, it's all those things that come into play. And it's a lot to do with mindset for me, like being successful in business and being strong at business is a lot to do with what's up here and the voice that goes on between these two ears, because there's a lot of negative self-talk that can happen. And I think it's really important that people keep that that space in between their ears. It can be your worst enemy at times. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I need to ask you, do you set goals? <laughs> yes, I am the biggest goal setter ever. And I have done this with my kids, actually. My kids started goal setting when they were three years old. Wow. So they're now 16, 14 and 10. And every year I set my goals for the year. For myself for the business and also the children on first of January without fail every year okay. we sit down and we do what I call a goal storm so you know how you do a brainstorm you come up with yes. loads of ideas so yes. we do a goal storm in 13 different categories it's quite a technical way of doing it so we sit down and go right what do we want to achieve with our health this year what do we want to achieve with our relationships this year what do we want to achieve in life experiences where do you want to go what do you want to see what do you want to do so we come up with and we keep writing stuff until we run out of ideas in each of these categories. So we start with this massive, massive, massive list. And then we go through each category and then we pick out two to three on each category that are our like priority must do like goals. And then they go onto a vision board. So I'm huge on goal setting. I think this year I've got 146 goals written down. Holy moly. <laughs> in, 30, in these 13 categories. And I've got a priority two in each one so there's like 26 which are like my top goals but I'm already 74% achieved against my 146 that I set wow. we're halfway through the year so I'm ahead of I'm ahead but I'm like massive on goal setting like it's just been I spent a period of time in the network marketing industry and all my mentors in the network marketing industry were very like strong on goal setting and vision and like knowing what you want, believing in yourself, all that stuff. So that has been in like ingrained in me for a long time. And I've instilled it in my kids as well. And the kids are okay with it. They they don't sort of go, oh God, mum, we're not sitting down and do this again. <laughs> 
we make it fun though right i get i get brochures trap i go to all the travel agents pretend i'm going to go buy loads of holidays so i take all the brochures <laughs> i go get like the argos catalog i get like all these like stickers like big pieces of card like make it super fun obviously for the different ages it you know over the years it's developed yeah. into something else um, my eldest son now wouldn't sit with me and do it, but I'd be like, I, he's got ADHD and Asperger's and he's um, very high functioning and autistic. So like, I'll just ask firing questions and he'll just give me the answers and I'll just write them down and then like produce it for him. But like Lily loves it. We sit for hours doing it. Like we cut everything out and she's like, if she wants to do this, she'll go to this magazine and then she'll cut everything out, stick it all on and come up with this really bright vision board. So it's like just part of what we do and at the start of every year. It's fun. And, and do they sort of follow them through? It's not like um, normal New Year's resolutions. Where oh, no, no, no. Like start we, them in January, we, we have in them February. Up. That's it. No, no, no. We have them up in the kitchen where we eat. So we regularly talk about them. We can see them all the time. And as we do things, we tick them off on their boards. So and at the end of every year, we review it all and say, right, what did we achieve? What didn't we achieve? And then anything that they want to move to the following year, they can. You know, do we get 100% and done? No, like it doesn't happen all the time. but that not all of them are short-term goals. Some of them are like what we're working towards. So there may be things that we can achieve that is getting us further to like a big, big, big goal. Or some of them might be five-year goals that are still on the board because we want them. But it's amazing what happens, you know, when you actually are really intentional and you, you know, put it on a board. I mean, I've got crazy stories about this. I don't know how much time we have, but anyway, I'll just talk until you tell me not to. <laughs> no, no, it's really interesting because I think you should be setting goals. Yeah. And I think that with my clients, I'm forever saying to them, what are your goals? What what do you want to achieve over the next three months, over the next six months, over the next year? I don't tend to go further than that because, I mean, some of them will say to me, I would like eventually to buy my own house so I say to them, well, we've got a plan for that. That just doesn't happen in three months, six months. Yeah. We've maybe got a plan for a couple of years for that or three years for that. But some of them, nah, they're not interested. <laughs> well, I think I think it depends on like, I think you've got, see, I you've got business goals and then you've got like life goals, like personal goals. So I think the some business owners might be a bit resistant to go, oh God, do I really have to like sit down and do all my target? Do you know what I mean? Like if, if yeah. they feel like it's a chore, Whereas if you go, well, actually, let's just park the business goals and go, right, what do you actually want? Like, what fun stuff do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to travel? What what stuff do you want to own? What, you know, what life experiences do you want to give to your family? And like, that's all the fun stuff. That's why we want, that's why we became entrepreneurs, right? Because we want that lifestyle. Yes. So, and having that kind of financial freedom and and having the ability to create a business that gives you all that is the motivator for most entrepreneurs in my experience, but they don't want to do the, they don't want to do the boring, like, you know, let's set some, you know, quarterly goals for this and everything. But like we track and measure everything. Like we have monthly targets, weekly targets, you know, quarterly targets, like everything. And I, as soon as I log into our system, like my dashboard is there, my sales targets are in front of me, my dashboard is there. And that, I know that's all linked to me achieving my fun goals. goals. Yes. Exactly. Now, do I enjoy sitting down and doing all like the the sitting in the spreadsheets and going through like figuring out like how many sales we need, how many customers? Not particularly, but I know that if I don't do that, I'm not going to have all that fun stuff over yes, here. Yes. And I think um, it's about flip maybe flipping that on its head and thinking about the fun stuff and the, the yeah. nice to have stuff and then linking it back into the business target. Well, I usually do try and say to them, "What do you, what do you, what do you 
what's financial freedom to you? What would financial freedom mean to you? And then if they see leaving work at three o'clock every day so I can go and pick up my kids from school, I say, well, let's let's see how we can do that. How can we how can we set some goals to achieve that? That's how I usually try and work it in with them. Yeah. But like I say, some people, when you say setting goals and things, some people see it as a negative. I see it as a positive. I see it. I'm like you. I think it's a good thing. I think it's good to be held accountable and I need yeah. to be held accountable. There's no point in me writing down goals and then not telling anyone about them. So like you say, sticking them up on the wall and things like that is great. I see them everywhere. Like I've got my vision board and my kids' vision boards in the family area. But then I have my own personal goals, like all the the whole list, like literally on my mirror in my bedroom, in my bathroom, like they're everywhere, like in my office. Like so I have to see them and I regularly look at them because I think that's key. If you just do it because for the sake of doing it and then put it in drawer and never see it again and then hope and then you're on a hope strategy then I hope I'm going to achieve this but each one of them needs to get broken down as to actually how I'm going to go and achieve that not just I'm going to I'm going to put it on my wish list like it's got to be linked back into activity and then only when you do the activity are you going to get the results yeah yeah so do you ever feel overwhelmed (laughs) all the time (laughs) and how do you cope with that I, I'm a, I'm a single mom, right? So I have a very very hectic, busy. Did a post about it on LinkedIn the other day, like my routine before and after work. I feel overwhelmed all the time. Like it is a lot. You know, it's a lot being a single mom on its own without running a business, without having a team, without having all this other stuff that I've got to do. So yeah, I feel overwhelmed all the time. And I think any business owner that tells you that they never get overwhelmed is lying. <laughs> no, no. So how do you cope with it? How do you cope with it? So how do I cope with it? I think there's a few things. Number one, I journal every day. So actually my Alexa is probably going to go off. In fact, it will go off if we're still recording in about 15 minutes. Every day I have an Alexa alarm that says, write in your journal. So I journal to get my kind of emotions out, to record what I'm grateful for, to record how I'm feeling, how my energy levels are, things like that. So I have like a whole book that I write in for that. So that's one thing. Number two, I try to get lots and lots of sleep, but quality sleep. So six months ago, I gave up alcohol, which I never thought I'd do in a million years. I never thought I'd be, I'm like the party girl. Like I was like, I've always, alcohol has been a huge part of my life, like the entire, like since I was quite young. And since I stopped drinking, my quality of sleep has massively improved. And although I get the same amount of time of sleep, I now look at my kind of sleep monitoring and I can see that I'm getting proper deep sleep quality, like REM sleep, et cetera. So I feel like I don't feel exhausted when I wake up anymore, which is a massive impact. And I think a lot of people are very tired and exhausted because they're overwhelmed, because they're stressed, because they're worried about finances. They're worried about money. They're worried about cost of living. They're worried about all this stuff. And it can be a lot. But if you're also then not getting quality sleep, like you just if you'll feel exhausted all the time and you won't feel you've got the energy to attack your day. So that for me has been a big thing. Another thing is just getting out in nature. Eight o'clock every night, I take my daughter Lily and we go walk the dog and we have an hour catching up on her day. And like we chit chat and we get out into nature and we go to the river and the, you know, the park. And it's just lovely to do that. So again, I think keeping your health, mental health and physical health in check definitely helps with overwhelm 
I also think like having people to talk to, like not just bottling it all up. So not necessarily a mentor or business coach, but, you know, having a good friend support network that get you because like not every, you know, I don't have that many friends. Like I have a very close circle of friends, but they are also like me. They're single moms with businesses so that I can talk to them about the same stuff. Yes. Yeah. I can't talk to a lot of the moms at the school gate about that because they either don't have a job or they have a they have a not in nine to five or nine to three little part time thing, and they don't get like I'm building quite a big business, right? And not many people are doing that at my level who are also single moms. So oh. it's hard for me to find a friendship group where I can actually be like just have that vent <laughs> if you need it. Yes. So so yeah. So there's a, a few things like that that I would say, and then meditation. I'm I do need like some meditation in the evening to get me like pro- yeah, my brain properly shut yeah. down I've got ADHD my kid two of my kids have it as well so I find it very difficult to wind my brain down and I always lose my train of thoughts but especially on podcasts so yeah so I think there's a few things that can help with the overwhelm but yeah I feel overwhelmed a lot like almost every day well that's good to know because I feel overwhelmed as well. <laughs> I, I think, you know, people sometimes I, look at me and go, oh, she's like superwoman. Do you know what I mean? They're like, oh, she's got all, you know, she's got it all together. I really don't. Like, I'm no different to anybody else, you know. And those people that know me, like, really well, they, you know, they know what's going on for me. But, like, it's a lot. Like, it's a lot. Raising three kids on your own, like, fully on your own. Like, their dad has had them, like, four hours this month. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a 24-7 job. It's hard. And they're teenagers. Yeah. Like they are very hard work. Like it's so challenging. No one ever, I think, prepares you for teenagers. No, they don't. I, I, I always prepared myself for like the younger years and the toddler years and all of that. I don't think I've thought of as far ahead of them being like no mini adults and, no. <laughs> and everything that I was gonna bring. So no. yeah. And and people people sometimes say to me, Oh, it's gonna be so much better when they go to school. And I used to say to them, it doesn't get any better when they go to school. I think it gets worse when they go to school. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a lot. I mean, I do work just within school hours mainly, but then I fit the rest of my work around outside of that. So I work nine till three, five days a week. I pick up my pick up the kids every day, well, not the little one anyway. The others are a bit old enough now. Yeah. But I pick up Lily yeah. every day from school because I want to. And then I manage between kind of six and 11 six and 10, like just to fit around whatever else I haven't got done in the day. Yeah. And in between all the other stuff that I have to do as a mum. So, yeah. yeah. So tell me a simple pleasure that you like. Honestly, like having quality time with my kids. That's your pleasure, is it? Yeah, because I I, I work a lot. Like I work a lot. And, you know, that, that time I have with the kids, whether it's one-on-one or as a group, like I don't get to do it very often, but when we do spend time together, it's like it's really quality time. Yeah. Either doing something really fun because I've, I've built the business to a point where I can. You know, there have been times when we really haven't been able to do a lot of fun stuff. You know, treating them, going shopping with them, having you know, being able to like buy them their favorite brands. You know, all the stuff I could never couldn't do five years ago, and just having having good fun with them. You know, they're not going to be around forever, so that for me outside of work is the, my go-to thing like that's that makes me happy yeah I used to say when when I worked because I only worked part-time when the kids were at school and I used to go and pick them up from school and it was like a switch I became mum again and I used to love it because yeah. it I would physically find myself winding down when I was walking them home from school 
and listening to what they were telling me. I used to love it as well. Yeah. So I'm going to talk to you about AI now. How do you think AI is going to impact LinkedIn? I think it already is impacting LinkedIn in a massive way. I'm, I mean, I'm no AI expert. In fact, my business partner, Chris, is probably doing a lot more investigation around that because he's a bit more geeky than I am when it comes to like researching and things like that. So I think it's already being used for pe- by people to put comments on people's posts. It's already being used by people to create content. I think it can be a great research tool. I think it can be, I would never rely on it to completely write content without having a human eye on it. But, you know, I I mean, I'm already using it to help me with lots of different things. LinkedIn obviously is owned by Microsoft and they have a lot of AI tools that are coming into the platform. So they're now, you know, using things like AI to, you know, craft an in-mail to a prospect and things like that. So I think it's definitely going to, you're going to see a lot more of it over the next six, 12 months. Yeah, It's here to stay. Anyone that is not embracing it or at least learning about it, or at least kind of keeping an eye on it is, is probably going to is probably going to miss an opportunity. It's going to suffer, yeah. I mean, I'm sick of seeing all the stuff over the newsfeed, but like I'm kind of on the periphery watching, learning, taking in bits of it, trying a few different things out. But there's like you could literally, it's a full-time job trying to get to grips yes. with yeah. what it is, what it can do. So I do follow some kind of key creators who are obviously that's their thing. And I'm just kind of picking up bits along the way. But I think, you know, I now started to talk to the kids about it. I had chat gpt write a poem the other day for my daughter lily who's mixed race who was getting bullied in school and i had it write a nice poem about you know diversity and inclusion and stuff like that and she was like wow it wrote that in like 10 seconds i'm like yeah it did and she felt really happy when it had done it and i was like this this is where it's going my son's just completed his gcse's i'm like this is what you need to start learning like yes. if you want to be ahead of everybody else in your peer group like you need to learn AI, you need to learn, you know, you need to learn all of this stuff because you you can become someone that people can go to for this. So I think it's definitely going to play a big part in LinkedIn and other social media platforms. And it already is way more than people realize. It's here to stay. It's not going away. Is it slightly scary? Yes. The only good thing that I think about it, the only thing that I, is it can't replace you. It can't no. replace the personal touch. Of course it can't. And I'm, I'm like you. I think you need to start learning about it. You need to start thinking about it in all professions. But you, you also have to take the reassurance that it's not going to re- replace the human touch. Correct, yeah. I think it's going to definitely support what a lot of us are doing. It's almost like having your own personal VA. <laughs> I think if you see it in that way and not as a threat, like see it as an opportunity to support you in your day-to-day tasks, to save you time, energy, et cetera, and just get educated. Yeah. I think think it can be a good thing for sure. So what were you good at at school? What were, you know, that you talked a lot about your kids and the school and your son taking his exams and things. What were you good at at school? I was a real goody two-shoes student in school. Like I was a prefect. I was like an A grade student. Like I was the first of three siblings, like three girls. And I didn't never wanted to disappoint my father. And I was like the best student. Oh, now I went to six different schools growing up. So I was moved around a lot. I think I read that you went to six different schools. So that I must did, have been. Yeah. I mean, he was a bank manager. His job changed all the time. Anytime he got promoted or moved branch, like we were up sticks and off again. So that was quite challenging. Later in life, that made me really good at networking and relationship building. But in school itself, I'd say I was 
strong from a creative perspective. Like I've always been quite creative from an art perspective and design. Like I wanted to be a graphic designer when I was when I was little. And I studied graphic design at A-level as well. So I've always been quite creative in that sense. I've got, And I do have quite a high IQ as well. Like I'm quite, it sounds really arrogant to say, doesn't it? I'm quite mm. emotionally intelligent and I'm quite intelligent as well. So yes. I was good at, ev- like I was good at every subject. There wasn't a subject that I was like, oh, I'm terrible at it. I like, I was A plus student, like all the way. So, but it's because I worked hard and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to fail at my exams. I didn't want to, you know, be the disappointment you know what I mean so I think for me the creative stuff was probably there and do you do any of the creative stuff now I mean do you do any art or um I do with Lily like we made puppet dragons this week (laughs) (laughs) I I do quite a lot of design actually like I do all my own like YouTube splash tiles I do all my I don't outsource any of that so anything that's creative in my content that you see me putting out there I do all of that like that's my that's, that's your my creative stuff. side. Yeah. yeah, that's my creative side because it still allows me to to be creative. Um, and obviously, content creation is all about creativity as well, and writing, and you know, I write books and all you know, all that kind of stuff. That's my creative side, and yeah. that is actually linking back to goals. Like I set creativity goals. Like that is one of my kind of areas. So, but yeah, I, I generally I think I was good at most things. I was one of those annoying kids that was like always putting my hand up and like oh, and the teachers going oh, Sam's answering the question again, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Hermione in Harry Potter. Yes, yes. I was a bit like Hermione, I think. <laughs> well, that's not bad. It hasn't done you any harm anyway. No, it hasn't. I did get a bit more rebellious after uh, primary school, though. But Okay. So <laughs> Pipeline 44. Yes. Where does that come from? So both the two co-founders, well, there's now three co-founders, but two initially. Uh, my birthday's fourth of the fourth. And my co-founder, Nick, who's also my business partner, and mentor is also born on the 4th of the 4th and 44 is both of our lucky numbers so 44 wow. came from that then i did some research into the number 4 and the number 44 and it was all about sustainability and profitability and success and longevity and there was all these things around the number 44 and 4 that just made sense because that's what we're all about and of course we're all about building sustainable pipeline for our clients which is where the pipeline came from so because we have a marketing agency, marketing agencies need to have a cool name that nobody knows why they're called that. So that's why it's called Pipeline 44. <laughs> and how long's Pipeline 44 been going? So we set up around the, right before COVID, so like December 2018, I think was pretty much when it happened. I have been doing this longer than that, but I don't know if you know my backstory, but I had a previous investor and somebody that was working with me in my business who basically did a hostile takeover took over my entire company, stole all my clients, moved them to another company. And I had to literally start from scratch in 2018. So I was properly screwed over by a previous investor and mentor, supposed mentor. So that's why there's a difference in timeline as to when Pipeline 44 was started versus when I started doing LinkedIn full time. So um, yeah, so he financially ruined me, emotionally ruined me, and I had to pick myself up and start all over again. God, that's horrendous. And it was all going on when we met in Aberdeen. So that day in Aberdeen, I had gone there and he didn't even give me budget to stay in a decent hotel. Like I stayed in a, I think my hotel was like 30 something pounds. It was awful. And I had to show up with my game face on to deliver that session. And that was the week that it all fell apart. 
Well, you would never have known, Sam. So well so there done. There you go. Well done. Just shows you. you <laughs> That's just... why I remember when it was. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. You just don't know what's happening, do you? When you're talking I was going to people. Through, honestly, when I was speaking at that event, I was going through one of the worst times of my life. God, that's horrendous. Well, I would never have known because you delivered a great speech. Like I say, you empowered me. Oh, thanks. That's amazing. So if you had to give some advice, what would you say to someone that's starting up or building a business? Wow. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut pick a couple of things. Number one, go slow to go fast. A lot of people who go to start a business, they obviously a lot of them have set goals, etc. But I think if you're going to build a business like a sustainable business that is going to be able to grow and be something that you can eventually exit from, for example, one of the big things I've learned is that you can like I was very I was building very fast in the early days, but I nearly broke the business because we couldn't keep up with the amount of clients that were coming in and we didn't have the right systems and the right team to handle it all. So I think. You've got to be, you've got to have the right systems and processes in place in order to build it A, profitably and B, sustainably and set it up in the right way when so you're the, first starting out. So that's definitely one. That's the boring bits, isn't it? But it's bits that you need. It it's is. The foundations think, really, isn't it? Yeah. And I used to, I used to, um, um, Nick and I talk about this all the time because I used to say, oh, I'm not a detailed person. I don't, I, I don't want to get, you know, I'm not a systems person. I really am not. But I've had to learn to be it because I think a lot of people say, oh, just work on your strengths and like ignore your weaknesses. But that was one of my things I wasn't very good at. But as soon as I got good at it, like I was like, oh, wow, now I really understand how why it's so important to have those systems and process in place and extract my entire brain, which is the whole business. It was the whole business out of there and get it into other people so that I can scale. So I think and that would be another thing, like having those systems and processes in place early even if it's just you in the beginning. Yeah. Like, yes. Create it as if you've got a whole team, but at the minute you're doing all the jobs. Yeah. But build it in that way. Another th- obviously the second thing we've already talked about it, but get get somebody to around you, like get around the right people. So whether that's a peer group uh, of other people at the in the same boat of you as you, a community of some kind, a coach, a mentor, etc. Like get the help that you need early because you know, I made a lot of mistakes in my first build. And when the stuff that happened to me happened, I was like, wow, this could be the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but also it could be the best thing that's ever happened to me. Because imagine if you today, if you're listening to this today and you run a business, imagine if you got a chance to start all over again, clean slate and build it again. What would you do differently? What what mistakes would you learn from? That's good. That's good. So that's, that's how I looked at it. I was like, wow, this is like, actually, well, I wouldn't do that again. I wouldn't do that again, but I would do this differently. And imagine like that, that's just happened to you. Like you've lost everything and now you're going to rebuild it again. What would you, what would you do differently? So I built it faster, better, strong, not faster, but like I built it more sustainably with the right systems, hired the right people, you know, got things in place so that we could grow it. You know, we have 280 clients now in our social selling academy. It's a big community of small business owners learning LinkedIn and social selling. I'm working with the most incredible brands. Like I'm about to close a big deal with a, you know, seven, eight billion dollar company who want to bring me in to train their sales team. You know, amazing things are happening. And I think you, you know, you've got to, that wouldn't be happening if I hadn't have kind of reset and no, learned yeah. from those mistakes. And how many staff have you got? 
I know you talked about the three directors, but yes, yeah, so there's three directors, and then there are currently three in our agency team. Although that that will be growing towards the back end of this year, so we like to keep it quite. That's good. Six of us in total, yeah. Wow, that's so, incredible. So, but it, there will be more. Like we've got um we've got an agency in the business as well, where people can outsource their content creation. They can outsource their LinkedIn campaigns to us. So that's kind of the agency team plus the academy. I mean, the academy is growing at a rate of knots, which is amazing. And then the corporate training side of things. So I tend to look after the corporate training. I am responsible for revenue and sales in the business. I'm the chief revenue officer. So I am fully responsible for that. I tend to focus more on the corporate and enterprise business. And then Chris, my business partner, focuses on the academy, which is more for smaller micro businesses. But we kind of all feed the pot and the whole team do social selling. The whole team are posting on LinkedIn. All six of us are walking the talk of what we teach our clients to do because that impacts the whole pipeline ultimately. So, yeah. So what's financial freedom to you? For me, it's options. Yeah. So, you know, financial freedom means having the option to take off to Australia and New Zealand, see my sisters and have the business still running like without me. Like that's a big thing for me. Being able to pick up my kids in school every day is, you know, that I have the option to do that. That is freedom to me. The business we're building, Pipeline 44, is, you know, we're building it to exit from at some point. So I don't have financial freedom yet in the sense of finance finances, but we're building it to a point where we know it can. Yes. I definitely think that it's different for everyone. Like financial freedom is different for everybody. But for me, it's options. Like when when we get to a point where I either, you know, the the business is at a point where I'm still in it at, or and it's providing me with the level of income that I'm aiming for, or I'm not in it and I've sold it for X. Like that for me is that will be the official term of financial freedom. But what it allows me to do is have options for me, for the kids, for their future, for my future, etc. So that's what it's about for me. Okay. So one final question. What does the butterfly mean? Well, my story that I've shared with you about the hostile takeover was all about transformation and how if you take the different stages of a butterfly, like most businesses start as like a little egg on a leaf. They're like on their own and they're like, they don't know what they're doing. And they're like this kind of embryonic stage. And then the, the egg turns into the caterpillar. And that in business for me is like, after year one, kind of six, 12 months in, you're starting to be this hungry caterpillar, right? You're learning, you're consuming, you're reading books, listening to podcasts, trying to like figure out this whole business thing. You've gone past the egg stage, but you are like, that's where you're at, hungry caterpillar. And then the cocoon stage is where adversity hits, right? Every business owner is going to face challenges. Every person's going to go through that whole, like it being in a dark place. And for me, the cocoon was like, the situation that happened to me. Have I had a few of those in my life? Absolutely. But ultimately, you're never going to become the best version of yourself and become that kind of beautiful butterfly and have a business that gives you that financial freedom unless you go through those stages. And you'll have more than one cocoon moment in your business. You'll probably have multiple ones. Like COVID was, for a lot of people, was a cocoon moment. For me, the hostile takeover was right before COVID. So, So, and the other thing to just say about the butterfly analogy is that Butterflies can't see their own wings. Oh, can they not? They have no idea how amazing they are. And I think that's a lot of the case for business owners too. The people around them can see it, but they can't see it themselves. So imagine that, right? Imagine being the most, one of the most stunning creatures on the planet, 
and you don't even know how amazing you are and how beautiful you are and how incredible you are. And that for me, like that whole analogy around the butterflies is that plus it's my grandparents spirit animal too. So who are no longer with us. So I pre COVID did that my whole, I did a, a presentation called the butterfly effect on stage in Wembley to 500 people. And I told my story about, you know, the journey of business and then the hostile takeover situation and coming out the other side of it. It's just stuck with me since because it was a room full of 500 business owners and I gave everybody in the room a little butterfly to put on their desk. And I said, anytime you're feeling like in a dark place, that you're stuck, that you you don't know where to turn, like just look at the butterfly and know that you can't see your own wings. And that is why I have the butterfly linked to my personal brand. That's really touched me. (laughs) No, I think that's fantastic. And I think if anyone takes anything away from the podcast, take that. Please take that. Yeah. Ooh. So thank you very much, Sam Rattling. You're welcome, Susan. It's been really interesting talking to you, and I'm thanks so pleased me. that you said yes to me. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been amazing. So I didn't mean to make you cry. <laughs> no, that's just, I never even knew that about the... I know, right? It's amazing. I didn't know either, and it was when I was doing my research for that, because I that for me was my, my pinnacle best speech of my career. And I I put I put hours and hours and hours into it. But when I was doing my research, I was like, wow, like who knew that they couldn't see their own wings? No, that's fantastic. I think it's a great analogy. I just love it. Well, if you want to see the full one, I actually did. And on my YouTube channel, there is a video called The Butterfly Effect. So if you want to see the whole story. For those well, of you that are listening, I'll need loads you... and loads of tissues. Then will I? <laughs> you will need quite a lot of tissues. There. It's not quite the same as doing it on stage in Wembley, but I, I thought, well, will it translate online? It's been viewed like I think seven, eight hundred times now, but everybody it was on. There was about six hundred people on it live, and everybody was in bits. So yeah, you will need tissues. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, and I hope you've all enjoyed listening to Small Business Financial Freedom and Sam Rattling. My name's Susan Crichton, SJC Plus Zero Accountants. Thanks.